Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. From the Financial Times in London, this is Hard Currency. So can dollar bulls brush themselves off and start feeling better about the world? Is Janet Yellen now comfortable about a stronger dollar? And with OPEC meeting this week, how is the currency market feeling about oil at 50? I'm Richard Blackton, the Deputy Markets Editor at the FT, and welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly look at the currency markets. Joining me in the studio today is Hans Redeker, Head of Global Currency Strategy at Morgan Stanley. Hans, welcome. So the dollar, having had a difficult start to the year, has enjoyed a good May. The Federal Reserve has signaled to people that it's serious about a rate rise over the summer. Are you a dollar bull over the summer? We are, uh, hold our opinion that uh, the secular US dollar bull market is uh, incomplete. What we have seen in May so far is a 3.5% rally in the uh, Fed's uh, broader uh, dollar index, but we think there is more to come. The question then here is, is this just about uh, the Fed or uh, do we need to analyze this in a broader global context? The Fed has uh, certainly made a contribution to a US dollar strength simply because the Fed recently had to correct the communications they were using in February and then after Easter again. And uh, the new communication is about when to hike uh, interest rates, and that had an impact on interest rate differentials. But FX markets is so much more than just looking at short-term interest rate differentials and uh, interpreting the various central banks. What we need to look into is the difference in uh, global output gaps. So you have in the United States an economy which is uh, nearly closing its output gap, and therefore you have an economy in front of you which is uh, going to generate uh, higher inflation rates. This is very different in Asia. This is very different in emerging markets. We have significant output gaps over there. And that actually means that the uh, deflationary environment in Asia is going to stay with us. And that actually means you have low returns. And then you add to that that we are talking about not only about overcapacity and output gaps, we are talking as well about debt in the region. And when you have uh, debt, then you have to think about savings. And when you do not find for your savings investment opportunities being local, then you have to export capital. So where does export of capital go to? We think it is going to move into the U.S. dollar. And the reason why is that Asia is regarding U.S. dollar as a reference currency. So a lot of these flows will make its way into the U.S. dollar. And that is as well the reason why we think that AXJ currency, Asia x Japan, is going to tend towards a currency weakness and the US dollar is going to benefit from that. So if I can ask you, so Asia x Japan is going to be weaker against the dollar, where else are we going to see dollar strength against which currencies? We think that uh, the US dollar is going to be strong against most currencies, but there is going to be one exception to that. And uh, as we sat down in uh, October, November last year, and uh, we're providing our thoughts about what is going to happen in the year 2016, we concluded that the Japanese yen could be even stronger than uh, the U.S. dollar. And that is actually what we continue to believe in. So the Japanese yen is going to be a strong currency going forward. Coming back to the U.S. dollar, 
we think uh, that uh, the commodity block uh, is going to see currency weakness. So Australia, Canada, New Zealand, ruble go into Colombia. So uh, we have as well to think about a current, uh, currently very specific situation, and that is in the FX, uh, in the commodity market, you see a divergence taking place. So oil is still trading at fifty dollars or near fifty dollars, and against that you have uh, those commodities which are closer associated with demand in China, and they have come off quite uh, sharply in the months of of May. So for how long is this commodity divergence going to stay? Can this divergence in copper versus oil going to stick with us? Can it stick with us for longer? And I doubt that. I think that we are going to see oil corrective activity soon coming in, and that would mean that oil-related uh, currencies uh, should uh, weaken, and that does include uh, Norway, it does include uh, ruble, it does include Canada, and so forth and so forth. And in the case of the ruble, we like to point out uh, that uh, the market is heavily positioned in that carry trade. So if the oil market would correct, let's say, $10 lower, in oil, it could have a significant impact uh, on the Russian ruble, simply considering how the market is positioned. In terms of the yen, this is probably not a situation the government in Japan would be overly happy with, with a much stronger currency and a currency that at least you forecast is going to get stronger still. How much of a threat does that pose, the political discomfort in Tokyo to the yen's further strength? Or actually are the forces at play that are much more powerful for anything either the government or the Bank of Japan can do to arrest that strength? Yeah, that is a very good question. I myself uh, was uh, last Friday in Tokyo to discuss those matters. And what I find is that uh, there's not really a conclusion out there how to weaken the Japanese yen. And I think we have in front of us a yield curve, which uh, I call exhausted. So you have uh, the front end in uh, negative territory, but as well 10-year currently trading at minus uh, 10 basis points. So the question here is then, how can you have with that type of yield curve a transition mechanism playing so that quantitative easing via sovereign bond purchases is going to work? Then uh, when you have uh, yield levels at so level, so low levels, it's very difficult to lower them further from here. So you can get a situation where inflation expectations are falling faster than nominal yields. The result of that is that real yield there in uh, Japan is going up. We have experienced that in uh, the first uh, six months of this year, and I'm afraid that uh, there's maybe more to that to come, especially if commodity markets uh, would weaken again. Remember that since uh, early May, the interpretation of China's economy, the market it takes, the interpretation of the Chinese economy, that has changed. People are no longer convinced that this economic mini-cycle is working. So the result of that could be that inflation expectations are falling once again, and that could drive real yields up. So to some extent, again, trades in similar way as it did trade in the years 2011 and 2012. At that time, it was as well real yield driving the Japanese yen. But there was one difference. In 2011 and 2012, it was the reluctance of the BOJ which was causing real yields to increase. This time, it is the exhaustion of the JGB curve, which is driving real yields potentially higher should inflation expectations fall further from here. So Abenomics has a big problem to solve. In terms of you could make the argument that Janet Yellen and the Federal Reserve face exactly the opposite problem if the dollar bulls are correct over the next 12 or 15 months 
and that you've got a meaningfully stronger dollar, which obviously a lot of US corporates have complained about. Anyway, do you have a sense that this is a Federal Reserve that's coming more comfortable with dollar strength? Or what's your thinking on that? Yeah, if I was to think about uh, under which circumstances uh, a currency does appreciate. So in the case of Japan, it is obviously highly unwelcome. So the question in the U.S. is, uh, is a high U.S. dollar welcome? I would say, no, it is not welcome. But the U.S. economy is uh, an economy which can cope with that simply because it is an economy which is uh, fairly closed. It is an economy which is not so much exposed to tradable goods. Its manufacturing sector is relatively small. Its service sector is relatively big. So you have here an economy in front of you which can deal better with uh, currency strengths and most other economies. And you have to think about what is then the alternative. If our uh, assessment of global output gap divergence is correct, then under those circumstances you have to think, how do you reconnect to the world? How do you reconnect output gaps? And as far as I see, there are three possibilities. And one of them is the UC exchange rate. The second one is you depreciate unused assets in Asia, which actually would mean that you have asset losses, which I believe in stakeholding societies uh, fairly are unlikely to be taken that route. And the third option is that you provide a demand push into that economy in order to utilize your overcapacity with own demand. Now, that had been tried in the case of China over the past uh, couple of quarters. And uh, the cost of that uh, demand push had been relatively high, given how much debt was increasing during that time period. Interesting. Much to think about. Hans, thank you very much for joining us. And do join us again next week for Hard Currency. In the meantime, keep up with all currency news on FT.com. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.